It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour. This is Ed Hugland, your host for this evening. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Scott Shara about his daughter, Grace, and the tragic end of her life. I'll bring Scott on in a minute, but let me set the stage here for why this is the topic for our National Security Hour. From my perspective, this is a national security issue as it potentially impacts every single American, your freedoms, your lives, your health care, and the potential disregard by some for the sanctity of the medical oaths to do no harm. As you hear me on this program often, this is not only a tactical near-term issue, but a strategic issue in what I call the ongoing cognitive war a battle for the cognitive domain, the domain of the human mind. It is a battle between good and evil. Cognitive war, I must remind you, uses ideology, religion, and issues, and in this case, healthcare, Obamacare, but also along with other issues like racism, transgenderism, etc., as varied ways to conduct this unrestricted war of terror on America. As our listeners know, I focus on the strategic and cognitive warfare as, is, as it is a battle for the cognitive domain, the human mind. As this battle between good and evil never ends, it is, in its most fundamental form, a, power, a battle for power and absolute control. Remember Obamacare, the socialized medicine? And remember where it viewed those of us over 60, like myself, who had any major illness as potentially expendable? to keep healthcare costs down, as they viewed the less fortunate or the other inflictions, much like the fascists did, the Nazis did in the 1930s, as expendable. And we've seen them use other issues like CRT, racism, transgenderism, as I said, to push more fascist and socialist policies. So today we're going to hear from Scott. We're going to hear his personal story. Now, this is a story you must hear, as it is a story that could be your own as it is for many Americans, other Americans at the present time. Scott's story is really a nightmare about his daughter, which is truly unfortunate and hopefully unique. But unfortunately, again, in today's society, we're seeing things that should only be unique become the norm. But I want you to understand a critical point here as we discuss his family, that he is you. Scott is you. His story could be of you and your children your spouse, your mother, your father, sister, brother, son, or daughter. As in this cognitive war, we, the weak, the impaired, are viewed as expendables. In other words, collateral damage, necessary collateral damage. So without further delay, let me introduce Scott Shera. He is the nationally recognized expert and commentator on global euthanasia agenda and the dangers of incentivized health care. He is the father of Gray Shara, a 19-year-old with Down syndrome, who was, as Scott states, killed by St. Elizabeth's Hospital, Ascension Health. Scott is on a mission to spotlight the crimes, the crimes of the American medical system. He has shared his insights, his research, and his personal story through hundreds of television 
radio and podcast appearances, and now also on this show. He has a deep programming with Grace's dad, which could be found on Rumble. <clears throat> and as this show goes from air to podcast, you'll find out not only his bio, but you also find links to the different ways to communicate with him and keep aware in terms of what he's doing, but also to get engaged in his story and his efforts. So with that, Scott, let me turn it over to you and ask you first about, tell us about Grace and the life she was leading and what she meant to you and your family. Well, Grace was an absolute gift from God. We would have never known what he had in mind. My wife and I were 39 years old when we had Grace, and we we let loose in the baby department, and he chose to bless us with that little stinker. So for 19 years, we had an angel living with us on earth. She was super high function. And I, I think partially, of course, because the way God made her, but we also never vaccinated her with anything. And then my wife homeschooled and really did a great job training Grace. So Grace could public speak. She could read and write. She played violin. Uh, for me, per, for me, she she deer hunted with me. I taught her how to drive a car. And she adopted my warped sense of humor, Ed, which is, of course, what I miss most. And I'll just give you a quick little uh, story about her humor, just so you get a perspective of how how she got stuff. And she would she would listen to to things and and she would make fun of them. So in our area, for example, there's a there's a grocery store chain called Piggly Wiggly, and it's a regional chain. And their their tagline is so they on the radio their jingle is Piggly Wiggly Shop the Pig. So Grace and I are driving in the pickup truck one day, and the jingle comes on the radio, and she said, "Dad, that doesn't make any sense. You can't shop a pig. You know, first you shoot the pig, then you eat the pig, <laughs> but you don't shop a pig. You know, and I I couldn't get enough of that. And you know, her her and I were." Um, I mean, we we were best buddies. She called me earthly dad. She called my wife earthly mom. That kind of gives you a perspective of of how um, how connected she was with what her uh, what her role was on this earth. So uh, that's a little bit about Grace. Well, that's in Minnesota, the People's Democratic Republic of Minnesota. Now we call it, <clears throat> but. Uh... We, we talked a lot, and we also shopped the Piggly Wiggly, right? Okay. So I was very familiar with the Piggly, Piggly Wiggly aspect. And so that was very interesting. And and and, uh, and the deer hunting, that's phenomenal. And teaching a car how to drive a car, the homeschooling, all that's phenomenal. And, and, you know, as a side note, my last job I had before I entered the Air Force out of college was uh, helping and uh, in, in serving as a manager at a special needs facility, which had a number of people with Down syndrome uh, in terms of doing work. And to this day, because as you said, the angels, right? The angels, the, the, the attitude, the blessing, the, just the pure love, continued love and adornment. It was, it was one of the best jobs I ever had in my life during those three months before I entered college. So, so now I have to move from the, the love and the wonder, which is, which is grace, but I have to ask you the, the hard question. So how did Grace die? Tell us a little about what happened with Grace and the situation that you found yourself in. 
Well, the you know the the COVID uh, narrative unfortunately included a lot of propaganda that I was not awake to. Before Grace died, I wasn't awake to any of this, and so the fear propaganda had influenced our family to a degree, and to a degree enough that Grace lost her life because of it. And what I mean specifically is we thought she had COVID. I have no idea what she had because now I consider COVID a psyop, but she had something. And, you know, ultimately we were following the FLCCC protocol. We had her on ivermectin, vitamin C, D, a bunch of other things. And one of the things that we were doing is we were monitoring her oxygen saturation. Well, we really had no business monitoring that number because we had no baseline, but we were, we were monitoring it. And the protocol said, if that number drops below 94%, admit yourself to the hospital on October 6th, the number dropped to 88% on the pulse ox that we were using to measure. And we took grace to the hospital. Ultimately the ER physician said, let's check grace into the hospital for three, four days. We'll put her on oxygen and a steroid and she'll be home. And I thought, well, at this point, I assumed hospitals were a safe zone. You know, I knew hospitals were not a place to get well. I mean, you know, nobody wants to go to a hospital, but I still assume they're safe. So I thought, well, that makes sense. And if they would have only done that, Grace would be alive today. And I say that with a thousand percent confidence because (laughs) three days after Grace died, I went into a different hospital and I just about died. I was substan- I was 10 times worse than when we took Grace to the hospital. I had to have my wife drive me. And they used a protocol that was 180 degrees different than what they used on Grace. And they turned me around in 24 hours. So there's absolutely no reason Grace should not be here. What they did... So I I was with her in the room. So the ER from October 6th, and I was taken out by an armed guard on October 10th, which we can go into that rabbit trail if you would like. But regardless, what we found out in overlaying the time with the medical records and the phone records is what I'm going to explain next, because what we found out is... On October 9th, they started Grace on a sedation med called Presidex. Grace's last day on earth was October 13th. So check in the hospital on the 6th. She's dead on the 13th, seven days later. On the 9th, they started her on this sedation med called Presidex. Presidex is only supposed to be used for 24 hours, according to the package insert. If you use it for more than 24 hours, it says right in the package insert that it causes acute respiratory failure. And the doctor who signed Grace's death certificate did tell the truth relative to her first cause of death because it's listed acute respiratory failure with hypoxemia, which the doctor caused that by using Presidex for more than 24 hours. As we found out in looking at the time period after I was taken out by armed guard, we hired an attorney to get my daughter Jessica in as a replacement. And during that 47 hours where Grace didn't have an advocate in the room, they increased the dose of Presidex six different times. So they sedated my little buddy instead of taking care of her. As we fast forward to Grace's last day on earth, the 13th of October, that day started out with a phone call from the doctor. 
the purpose of the call was to ask my wife, Cindy, and I for the fifth time if we would pre-authorize, give a pre-approval for a ventilator just in case it was necessary. As I've become a full-time researcher and advocate, I see the pressure for a ventilator was because ventilators were approved under an emergency use authorization by the FDA as a result of the fake public health emergency. And a ventilator has a $300,000 payday to the hospital. So now I see what, what they were doing. They wanted to convince us for this ventilator. That's why they use Presidex on Grace because a patient has to be sedated. So they thought they could convince us to put Grace on a ventilator. I had done the ventilator research while Grace was in the hospital and saw this thing has a 90% kill rate. So we knew we weren't going to approve a ventilator. So now we're on the phone. This phone call, he asks us about the ventilator for the fifth time. We say no for the fifth time. And he immediately switches gears and said, Grace had such a good day yesterday. We should work on nutrition. In fact, let's get her out of bed um, because we, we need to get things moving so she can be home in the next three, four days. Well, we now when we look at all the timestamps and the records, we see they actually had strapped Grace down to the bed. They made her poop in the bed before the phone call. And during, remember, during the call, he said, let's get her out of bed. Well, why didn't they do the... the so how can, sorry to interrupt, but the, the, how the hell do you get someone moving to force them on a ventilator and then say that you want to get them out of bed and start doing the walking around and nutrition? It, 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 that's like 180 out. I agree. I mean, it, people, you know, there's a lot of why questions that are not answered at this point, other than, you know, if you understand and believe that there's an agenda to reduce the population, which I've come to believe. So now during the same phone call at 1048 in the morning, they increased Presidex to the maximum allowable dose while we're on the phone. What we was the reasoning? What was the reasoning for increasing the dosage of that medicine, which you said should only have been given for one day? But they continue to increase that. What, what do I you think? Only, what's, what's your reasoning behind that? I only believe, you know, because of the fact that the next thing that happened is simultaneous with hanging up the phone, the doctor put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. So my belief is they believed that that Presidex dose was going to take her out. And so they wanted to have the DNR <laughs> in place to have the one-two punch. So 1048 max dose of Presidex 1056 DNR order entered in on Grace's records, which, you know, that's that's illegal also. Remember, these people outs operate outside the rule box. So don't worry about, they. you wonder, how did they do this? Well, they don't care about the law. So you now we keep going forward with our day. Remember, he just told us in the call, she had a great day. Let's work on nutrition. That's verified by my daughter, Jessica, who was in the room. And, and, and getting get get her out of bed. And the next thing to do is increasing the doses of a drug that's going to cause her to be sedated and then do the DNR. That's it, 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 an amazing, amazing set of sequences. I agree. And it gets worse. And this is why I have really uh, taken a deep dive into the euthanasia agenda, because what they did next was they combined Presidex with lorazepam and morphine. And they did that in a 29 minute window, which that's what you do when you want to euthanize somebody. And a better way to say it is hasten death, because let's call a spade a spade. This is not medical malpractice, it's medical murder. And so when you hasten somebody's death, it's not, it, you know, they use that, that phraseology to 
um, make it sound palatable. But the reality is yeah. they're hastening death when somebody's in hospice care and they euthanize them with that same med combination. Well, that is truly the second cause of death and Grace's death is they euthanized her with that med combination in 29 minutes, in a 29 minute window. Now it comes time to revive her. Okay, so Jessica's in the room. She's she's nurses come in the room. Grace is getting cold. They refuse. They will not come in the room. Jessica then called Cindy and I on a FaceTime call at 7.20 in the evening. This is an hour and five minutes after the dose of morphine. Yes. And she said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, they won't come in. So Cindy and I start screaming, save our daughter. And this is when we learned she's DNR because they stood outside the room with an <laughs> armed guard, roughly 30 nurses with an armed guard and hollered back, she's DNR. And we holler back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. Wow. And they refused. And we watched Grace die in a FaceTime call at 727 on October 13th of 2021. And, you know, ultimately, that's that was the impetus to, to dive in with both feet and start fighting this battle. Well, when we come back from break here, I want to follow up in terms of what they thought her diagnosis was. And then you talked about your diagnosis and the 180 out treatment and then how this went from uh, someone talking about getting them out of bed. And then within a few hours, the person dying, just, just atrocious. So before we go to break here for our listeners, you can listen to the National Security Hour weekly at 7 p.m. Eastern time on the American Out Loud talk radio network. They're, we're heard on iHeartRadio, world-class media players and awesome applications like Apple, Android and Alexa. All of these links can be found on americaoutloud.news. We'll be right back. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's Chief Medical Board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Welcome back to the NAS Security Hour. This is Ed Huglin, your host for this evening. And we have Scott Sharon, and he's talking about his daughter, Grace. 
in a tragic event. So when we left off last, we were talking about what was happening at the very end of Grace's life. But I want to go back, Scott, and ask a couple of questions. So when Grace went in, she was no doubt cognitive, alert. And that, what was the diagnosis? And then you mentioned yourself that you had some affliction. You went in for treatment, got 180 degree treatment. So can you give us a little bit of insight into that? Sure. Both of our diagnoses were COVID-19 pneumonia. And again, because I see COVID as a PSYOP now, I don't know what the truth was because, you know, they're using a test that will test you positive on purpose because that was the incentive incentivized healthcare piece of COVID. So regardless, that was the diagnosis. You know, the fact is, is even by the CDC standard at the time, Grace did not have COVID when she died because the first report of COVID was September 28th in Grace's life. She died on October 13th. So on her death certificate, they wrote COVID-19 pneumonia as the second cause of death. Again, that's because of money. Because if you if you put COVID-19 pneumonia on the death certificate, it facilitates another payment to the hospital. And it also facilitates a payment to the family, which effectively becomes hush money. We never took that payment because we thought it was blood money. With me in the hospital, what they did differently. I mean, I'll just tell you a story and you'll kind of get the perspective. Yeah, yeah. So when I got there, they, you know, I finally get in a room and they said, what would you like to have happen? I said, I don't want any alarms going off and I don't want anybody bugging me unless I hit the button. And so they respected that. So that was the first step. They just, they had a respectful attitude for me. I ended up my oxygen dropped to 72% about two in the morning because I had to walk to the bathroom and I could hardly make it. So I hit the buzzer. They come in, crank up the oxygen. The next morning, the nurse came in. I, I had actually called my daughter, called my my right-hand guy, told him, I don't think I'm going to make it and you know plan accordingly. And the next morning when I was alive, the nurse came in and she has a pill cup. And she says, I want to go through the pill regimen with you. So you realize my daughter died three days earlier. So I'm pretty skeptical. So I said, what do you have in there? And she says, I have a probiotic, a multivitamin, vitamin C, vitamin E, and fish oil. I said, you got to be shitting me. You guys don't, you guys don't believe in that stuff. (laughs) And she said, well, we do here. And so we went, we did that. Then they started me on budesonide treatments. And I mean, I was literally turned around in 24 hours. Well, so, so, so what was really uh, amazing to me, because I've been in a hospital a number of times uh, for, for different relatives, last rites and stuff like that, but never in my life was I stopped by police and uniform officers from going in to see my father, my mother, or or, or brother in the different circumstances. What what was that like? And especially you get this call from your daughter and Jessica, she, she's saying, uh, Grace's things are going down. And you go in and you you are blocked by the police from seeing. And, I mean, how did you eventually get to them? Were you were there with her at the, at the last moments? Great question. I'm glad you're clarifying. No, we weren't there. That was a face. We were we saw Grace die on uh, FaceTime. So the uh, reason we knew about the armed guard is because after 
you know, everything happened and, you know, Grace is in the body bag and all, you know, we start talking with Jessica and she said there was an armed guard posted outside the room during this time. Because if you break down the seven minutes, <laughs> Jessica called us at 720. Yes. At 722, she ran outside when they're hollering back Grace's DNR. She ran outside the room to the nurses. What the heck is going on? And the nurse pulled up the DNR order on her lap on her computer screen and showed her the doctor ordered this DNR. We can't do anything about it. Oh, wow. That must've been just gut wrenching. So, so when you, when you, when you went through this initial ordeal, what was the hospital's reaction based on what, what you had heard and, and based on your, 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 your explaining, here's what's happened here. She went in there somewhat healthy. She had some issues of course, but, with the with the medicines and stuff, of course, you didn't learn that probably till a little bit later. But was what was the hospital's initial response to you? Yeah, that's a really a great question, Ed. I mean, this will shock you as to how dumb I was at this point. But what happened was, is I, after I got out of the hospital, one of our doctor friends called me and said, "Scott, I think you need to get these records right away." We had known something nefarious went on, but we weren't sure what. So she said, "Get the records." Oh. So I ordered the records on October 31st. We we received what we thought were all the records on November 4th. So the doctor and I went through those records and we created a, a set of documents. And on November 8th, I emailed the hospital through patient relations with, with our findings and asked for a meeting with the CEO and the doctor, thinking that they would want to know what they did killed Grace. And they wouldn't want to have it happen to somebody else. Yeah. To my shock, on November, on December 2nd, so three weeks later, they sent an email back and said, we are not going to meet with you. So then I thought, well, this is very strange. So then that same day, I sent an email through what's the regulatory agency in Wisconsin. It happens to be the Department of Safety and Professional Services, which is the regulatory agency for the doctor's license. And yeah. I wrote up the story and filed an official complaint. Well, they wrote me a letter dated January 20th of 2022 and said, we did an investigation. The doctor did nothing wrong. That was the first day I started to wake up. I went out to the mailbox, I got that letter, and I thought, we're finally going to get some satisfaction in this situation. And when I read that, I thought, they are all in on this. I can't believe it. And then I started researching into Grace's records and realized they didn't just kill her, they murdered her. And oh. now, you know, now I've become a national spokesperson uh, on this whole agenda. So this so this is very interesting because, you know, uh, a lot of people go into hospital for a variety of different reasons and they expect to go in there healthy and come. I mean, and get to get whatever illness to have fixed and come out healthier. Right. So your experience is just 180 out from that. Just what a horrible experience. What? let me let me go into a little bit of your own story here. You know, what was your worldview before Grace's death and and why is it? that you have this view that this is some sort of psyop that was, was done in COVID. Because, you know, from my perspective, just like you and other Americans, we tend to trust in the government. We tend to trust in the institutions we're going to that they know what they're doing. But too often we find out that they don't know what they're doing and that in this COVID case here, the government lied about a number of things, the treatments, the medical stuff, the records, the impact of the vaccine and other things. So give us a little perspective in terms of your worldview before Grace's death 
and then then we could talk about what woke, woke you up a little bit after that as you've started to discuss. So beforehand, I've owned a business for about 35 years. I'm a small business owner. I've owned <laughs> multiple businesses. I started them all from scratch. And, you know, so you can imagine I have, you know, kind of a healthy distrust for the government, but they just are kind of this thing you got to deal with. I've always voted conservative uh, simply because, but I, I did see it strangely as the lesser of two evils when I voted. Yes. Uh, now I see the lesser of two evils in a lot different perspective, which we'll, we'll talk about. So I just had this, that was basically, you know, we had our life, my, my, I was focused on the business and we had a family life that was really just normal. We live out in the country and, you know, we just, you know, I never liked the regulation or the taxes, but I just thought, well, I mean, it's just part of what the deal is. You just got to do this. Yeah. Uh, so that was my, that was my worldview. I trusted the hospital system for sure. Otherwise I would have never taken grace there. And now I've gone 180 degrees. I mean, I think our government is absolutely 100% totally corrupt. Period. Well, so- so the, the key aspect I'm getting from you here is is a lot of out of this discussion is a lot of this dealt with not only the government's pushing uh, this propaganda they had about COVID and the and the uh, treatments and stuff, but also misinforming people about what the effects of the the treatments they were recommending the vaccine because they covered up a lot of that with Dr. Fauci. But a big aspect here that's coming out is the money. And, and what we've seen in the federal government here in the reporting statistics, billions of dollars were thrown out the door and non-traced and non-recoupable from the government right now based on spending money like crazy during this COVID thing. Now, throwing money after things is one thing. Throwing money and not knowing where it's going is another stuff. But it sounds like here the incentive for a lot of people turned out to be money. So in your mind and in your perspective, at the hospital was just just negligence on the hospital's staff that you thought that they maybe thought they were trying to do the right thing? Or do you think this was more purposeful and that they knew the right thing, but they did these different treatments because they knew they can get additional funding out of those aspects? I think there's, you know, you're bringing up multiple prongs of, of this. So let me frame it a little bit. All right. So, you know, the incentivized healthcare would be just fundamentally wrong. But if you just think about incentivizing something, wouldn't you incentivize life versus death? And in what they did, when I did a deep dive into the emergency use authorizations and the percent likelihood of failure versus success, I don't call it negligence at all. I think that the first three weeks or so of COVID with hospital stays, you could chalk it up to negligence. But simple common sense would tell you if you're using remdesivir and ventilators as your two primary tools in a hospital setting, after you kill 100% of the patients, remdesivir with a 75% kill rate and ventilators with a 90% kill rate, common sense would tell you if you're a medical professional, okay, I'm going to look elsewhere because this ain't working, right? Yes. So you can't call it negligence anymore after that short window at the beginning. So then when I did the dive into the money, I saw, oh my gosh, not only did they incentivize these protocols, which are killing people, but they had the shroud of secrecy because, you know, one of the things that makes Grace's story unique is we were in the room. They didn't let any family members in the room with the COVID diagnoses. So now they had a shroud of secrecy to boot. And then the third leg of the 
of the stool is the Health and Human Services Secretary implemented the PREP Act to provide immunity if they followed these protocols. So when you put that all together, wow. you see crystal clear this, this was done on purpose. So what was the reason they did it on purpose? The lie that they peddled was that you know, because of COVID, people aren't going to be going to the hospitals for their regular procedures. Okay, so we've got to pay these hospitals money so that they can stay afloat. So that's the lie they floated. The fact is, is they incentivized the hospitals to kill people. All right, so what was the motivation? The real motivation is they wanted to kill people with the jab. So in order to kill people with, the, they had to create fear propaganda with the hospital murders. The United States is number one on the planet, all 200 countries with hospital murders during the 39 month COVID area. We have 1.2 million hospital murders. Country number two on the list of 200 countries is India with 531,000 deaths. And their population is four times that of the United States. So you can connect those dots pretty easy without me going forward. All right. So then, you know, they set this whole thing up. There, you know, there's lots of reasons they set it up, which we can talk about, but we're yeah. just talking about the COVID psyop. So they they claim this thing as a virus, you know, it's spreading like crazy. You know, so I see three lanes. You got the virus lane, the jab lane, and the hospital murder lane. You know, I'm mainly in the hospital murder lane, but I, I understand the whole psyop because I had to do a deep dive into it to become educated. You know, the it was never even a virus. You know, it is it's a poison. So it's it's a poison unleashed on the American people, supported by the repeal of the Smith-Munt Act, which I'm sure you're familiar with. They repeal the Smith-Munt Act, I think it was in 2005, so they can legally propagandize the United States citizens with lies. So, I mean, they pulled it off. It was masterful. Yeah, so so on the Smith-Munt Act, you know, I have a different side of opinion on, but I'm not going to go into that detail right now. What what I What's more important here, I think, is, is where you're going with this, is that as we looked at what happened during the COVID crisis, the government itself was pushing disinformation, uh, pushing disinformation. It was censoring people for telling the truth about different types of positive types of treatments. We've seen people like Governor Cuomo in New York take the most vulnerable people in our society at assisted living facilities and then cause them to have massive, massive deaths. And so the point I like our audience to understand here is, is this is where when you listen to radical progressives and others who start to tell you what to do and how to do it. And when it comes to your health care. OK, and then if you don't listen to them, they censor you and shut down. And then you see the results afterwards. A couple of years afterwards. Now we're seeing thousands of deaths that were unnecessary in the healthcare system. We're also seeing with like LeBron James's own son, the young people who are being forced to get this vaccine or they can't go to college are all having heart attacks. Now, pilots are having heart attacks. Military people are having heart attacks. So the, the lies. So, so the intent initially when Trump started the COVID vaccine effort operation, I, I can't remember, warp speed, I believe, or something along, along those lines, was to help Americans and protect them. And initially that may have been the case. But it went dark and stormy from there in terms of then the government started to look at that, in my opinion, from the leftist standpoint, as a means to advance their power, control and subjugation to see how far they could grow. 
And so in these cases here with the lockdowns, what they did to school children, and in your case with your daughter, Grace, they took it to the extremes. But if you remember, I'm going to go to Obamacare for a second, because I want to get your opinion on Obamacare. Because under Obamacare, remember, they talked about uh, panels of bureaucrats, not medical doctors, but panels of bureaucrats who would subjectively decide whether you or not got treatment or not. Right. And in socialized medicine, if you've ever went to Germany, you've ever went to Canada or someplace else in the world, socialized medicine means you get the least possible care that you can get and you have to wait ages for it. And this Obamacare, they were looking and I think this got stopped. They're looking to have panels and subjectively to decide whether, okay, Ed, for example, myself, you need a hip replacement, you need a new heart. Okay. Well, depending on your age, we're going to decide, no, no, you're expendable. So so from your perspective, how does Obamacare tie into this from your your perspective in in terms of what went on with your daughter, Grace? So Obamacare did a number of things. First of all, just big picture, you know, Obamacare was passed by the Democrats unanimously. The Republicans refused to repeal it. So that got me seeing that they're all in on this agenda. So that is a starting point with Obamacare. Obamacare's perspective of the world is that non-contributing members of the society don't deserve medical care. That is stated publicly by Ezekiel Emanuel. He's the author, uh, the chief architect of Obamacare. And so that flavor is through the document. Then the other thing I would say by way of background is that people think, well, I'm not on Obamacare, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, it does apply to you because the Center for Medicaid Services is the governing agency that writes the standards of care for the entire country, no matter what insurance, no insurance, whatever you're, whenever you're getting medical care in the United States, that organization is the writer. So Obamacare influences everybody in the United States. And what it says, the death panel idea supposedly was repealed. We found a document in our research Uh, dated November 24th of 2022, which happens to be Thanksgiving Day, which showed that the the Health and Human Services Secretary, because under a public health emergency, he has carte blanche. So he implemented the new death panels on November 24th of 2022. When we come back from break, what I want to do, Ed, is I want to drill down a very specific section of Obamacare that will blow people's minds. And I want to show then how they use that to implement a training document to kill my daughter. No, no, very good. Very good, Scott. And so one thing also like, you know, so the Republicans did try to repeal, but remember Chief Justice Roberts put the nail in the coffin and in, in, in terms of the tax aspect, which then yes. they tried to repeal that they killed it. So our listeners will be right back in just a second. But before we go to break, remember all of our shows go to podcast, typically a day after the broadcast. So Scott's going to be on, on the podcast here. You'll see his bio, you see the links, but you, you can then hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart podcast, and many, many more. So please take a look at that. AmericaOutloud.news. We'll be right back. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. 
the genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. So welcome back to the National Security Hour. And right before the break, Scott was talking about Obamacare in a specific section he wanted to highlight. Scott, why don't you take the lead on that then? All right. So I'm going to look at another screen because I want to I want to read it so that everybody can hear this with your own ears. And if you want to see the document yourself, Obamacare is 906 pages long. I'm reading from page 141. It is section 1553. The title of that section is Prohibition Against Discrimination on Assisted Suicide. So even the title is suspect. Here's what it says. The government may not subject an individual, that would be a doctor, or an institutional healthcare entity, that would be a hospital, nursing care facility, or hospice facility, to discrimination on the basis that that entity does not provide any healthcare item or service furnished for the purpose of causing or for the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual, such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. So what is that? Just unpack that. What it's saying is that these are the tools that we are going to do to reduce the members of our society. And if you doctor or hospital don't want to follow the protocols that we're going to implement to implement mercy killing, euthanasia, or assisted suicide, you cannot be discriminated against. To my shock, you know, we saw during COVID the doctors who spoke out, of course, they're discriminated against. But what the shocking thing about this is that if they are discriminated against, they are appealing to the Health and Human Services Secretary, which the Health and Human Services Secretary is the one who implemented the public health emergency for the PSYOP known as COVID. I mean, wow. this is crazy stuff. But this is, you know, I see that they, they meaning the cabal, has done a fantastic job of crossing the T's and dotting the I's. So yes, when it yes. came time to implement COVID, they had everything in place, including legal. So, I mean, I, you know, we have the first ever uh, trial in the COVID era. We have a three-week jury trial coming up in Grace's lawsuit. Even the even the legal structure in the state legislatures is set up to pro, to protect this agenda. So I want to dive into it, Ed, and you got if you have a question now, it'll be good. But I want to yeah, dive yeah. into the document that they used to kill Grace. 
No, yeah. So, so yeah. Let's talk about that, and let's let's help the audience. Then after that, understand this uh, this uh, status of your lawsuit relates to what's going on. But yeah, go ahead. All right. So, what you'd think? Okay, when you hear that reference to Obamacare, first you say, "Well, you that can't make a doctor do that." So I get that. I mean, how do you how do you convince somebody to kill somebody? It doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Well, I'm focused on Down syndrome because Grace had Down syndrome, but you can fill in the blank. You can say dementia. And when I read this out of this next document, you'll see what I mean by filling in the blank. So when you look at killing people, they first set up a culture of death. So how do they do that? Well, they convince people in the utilitarian concept called collectivism. We've got to do things for the good of the state versus the good of the individual. So they've been working on this since the early 1900s. It's really euthanasia. It's really eugenics. And they've been convincing slowly but surely our entire country that we've got to do things for the good of the state. All right. Well, then you overlay some very specifics, and I call it the banality of evil, from Hannah Arendt, who coined that phrase. And the banality of evil, just apply it to the elderly and apply it to the disabled. With the elderly, we don't take care of the elderly anymore. We throw them in a nursing home versus, Ed, you and I are in the last generation who took care of our parents. Now they don't do, now we don't do that anymore. So they just get kind of thrown away. With the disabled, they're aborted. The doctors recommend an amniocentesis. So then they create this thing that disabled aren't welcome in society and they encourage the young people. 67% of Down syndrome children are murdered in the womb right now in the United States. So that you see how they can facilitate. So all of a sudden they've got this mindset going. All right. So now Obamacare's passed March 23rd of 2010. Then comes along the training documents to implement Obamacare. So what I'm reading off of now is a document from the Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin. You can plug your own state in. I'm from Wisconsin. You can tell because I don't have an accent. All right. So this is called Palliative Care for Patients with Down Syndrome. Yes. And it's written by two MDs. It's a training document for MDs. And it starts out with, so it's in thirds. It's an introduction. So the introduction is problems, causes of morbidity and death and Down Syndrome. And it just lists problem after problem that people with Down syndrome have. So just a couple, congenital cardiac septal defects, thyroid dysfunction, congenital hip dislocation, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Great. Grace was the best thing God ever gave us. She didn't, you know, you look at this in God's economy. I mean, I should say second to salvation. You know, she was a blessing. She didn't, we didn't look at her as just a list of problems. Right. Yes. That's what they do. They want to set it up that these people are problems. Why? Because you as a medical provider, you as a doctor have to come in on a white horse and save this family from this Down syndrome person that is nothing but a problem. So now the transition statement, the lifelong toll on families is high. Part of a robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by healthcare providers. So the burden on the family, the family doesn't want this child because of all these problems. And you've got to recognize that as a healthcare provider and design your plan of care, taking into account the family doesn't want this person. So then they transition to the kill statement. So here's the kill statement. Whenever possible, decision makers for people with Down syndrome, that's the doctor, should be encouraged to use substituted judgment. That's their judgment to make key palliative care decisions. 
All efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. So again, now fill in the blank. Yes. The view yes. of the person with dementia may not be known. The view of the person in that's in a coma because of a car accident may not be known. The view, you know, whatever they want, because they have they have fooled us. They have fooled us into believing. Yeah, so that. what's what's Go interesting ahead. here is is that so so as I mentioned, my last job I had in college, so I, so I learned a little bit more about Down syndrome, folks. So so your daughter was eighteen or nineteen or in that range, right? Nineteen. Yes. Okay. But the life expectancy for folks with Down syndrome is, uh, I think, mid thirties to early forty or something like that. Correct? So it's she actually was, increased quite a bit. I mean, it's it's in the sixties now. On the sixties now, so she was only half to maybe a third of the way through her life. Correct. And and so what you're talking about here is how the radical left, in my opinion, normalizes normalize the removal of people. So now think of yourself, myself, and others over 60, others over 50, really, is that if this is the way our society is going to go with Obamacare and healthcare, okay, just think back to the Third Reich, okay, and what fascism and the Nazis and what they did then, also with the communists. Those people who were had issues, whether Down syndrome, or you may have lost a leg, or you may have uh, a, a, a men mental condition, those people were viewed as expendable. And when you looked at Obamacare, what did they take a look at there? They take the look at removing people from the face of the earth to reduce medical care costs, meaning anybody over 50 were circumspect, over 60, then you start to decline very rapidly in terms of your care. But- this Orwellian nature of the left to drive these types of uh, psychological warfare, and I call this the cognitive warfare, to get people to acquiesce and believe in this needs to be pushed back upon. And so Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court justice, came out with a great article not too long ago and basically said he was amazed at how willingly Americans gave up their constitutional civil rights during COVID because we overtrusted in the government. OK, the government, my friends, doesn't exist to support you. It's, it exists to supposedly serve you. OK, and so what I'd like to understand here now uh, next, Scott, is, you know, this this could be part as we're talking here. Is this a euthanasia agenda? And do you see this continuing on in terms of them looking at creating the culture of death here within America, not only just to uh, then sort of uh, weed weed the, the weak and other people out of society that would maybe cost more health care, but also basically to then further subjugate and control people. Because as, as we saw with COVID, if you don't comply with the rules and regulations, you don't get health care. You get thrown in jail. You get your job taken away. And so where do you see this going in this euthanasia agenda? That's a way that's a mouthful. So we've got to kind of unpeel it a little bit. Yes. The, where I see it is, it is a control agenda. No question about that. The excuse they're using is money. It's simply an excuse. We know it's an excuse, Ed, because we have a fiat currency. They can print money whenever they want. So we know money is an excuse. 62 million Americans were on Medicare and Medicaid pre-COVID. During the 39 months of the COVID era, they relaxed the rules on purpose. So get this, on purpose because they really wanted more people on Medicare and Medicaid. 
Why? Because that excuse of money, now there's a hundred million, a 38 million person increase during the COVID era. So now that excuse of money, you can see how they can facilitate killing more people under the guise of we've got to save money. And then if the statistics are right, 70% of America got the jab, the increase in cancer is going to go up. We've already been programmed to what? We think chemo and radiation. And so now when the person comes into their doctor, they have an ailment, the doctor diagnoses him or her with cancer. And the doctor says, the good news is I can get you in for your chemo and radiation treatment next week. They're programmed to accept that, even though it has only a 3% cure rate, I would rather say a 97% death rate. But then the doctor says, the good news is because the person then asked, well, is my insurance cover it? And they say, well, the good news is yes, you're on Medicare and Medicaid and they sign their death certificate. So that's what that's the short term what's coming. But, you know, the bigger picture is this is this whole thing was about control. I mean, they saw how easy we gave up our rights after 9-11. Right. So 9-11 was open the door for COVID. And then all of a sudden we all just submit, you know, three weeks to flatten the curve. You know that, you know, just call it what it is. BS. So that was we all submitted to that. I mean, in- yeah, and so hopefully we have a more, much more healthy dose. So, so we have about the three or four minutes left. What I'd like to ask you a couple of key questions. Okay. So sure. based on what happened to you, what kind of support have you received from the state level Congress or, or the Senate? You know, we were, we were talking about this the other day, uh, my wife and I and a couple other people who are in this fight. And, you know, to my shock, you know, Grace's story is international. And, you know, to my shock, not one congressperson, nobody from the hospital, uh, no state congressperson, no one has reached out. Zero. Wow. But so, so this, this, is, this is for our listeners. This is where when I bring up the cognitive warfare and when we talk about the 2024 election. You damn well better be paying attention to what policies these people look to support, because based on what Scott's talking here, but also based on your own experience and and you've seen billions of dollars disappear through the government's hands to places they have nowhere, no one's going. You know, this is not only an agenda to the control, but it's also agendas align certain people's pockets. So, Scott, based on your experience, what do you recommend people do if they prepare for a hospital state? Because again, prior preparation prevents pretty poor performance. Now there's another word I could put in there, but the pretty poor, <laughs> I think suits for this audience. <laughs> that's, that's good. Well, there's two things I would say that you, you would do. Number one, from you know, so our story is about saving lives, both physically and spiritually. So physically what you can do is prepare by getting ready for a hospital stay. And that's a mindset. So the mindset is it's not just there's documents. So we need a you need a power of attorney document, you need a medical directives document, all those are available on Grace's website. But then you also have to realize your whole starting point is we're not going to trust them. We're here to hire a service and you need an advocate and that advocate's role is to save your life. So you you don't sign the fake screen with the, you know, with the fake pen, you read everything, you cross off an initial, anything where you would be delegating your rights to the hospital or the doctor, and you go in and and insist on informed consent. That's the critical link. So you need to be informed with every single step, every single, you don't ever give carte blanche to the doctor to make any decision. You're going to insist that he inform you, which means you get all the information, 
pros, cons, alternatives, risks, benefits, everything that you need to be informed. Then you take that information, you study it and get an outside doctor to help you if you can't do it on your own. And then you give your consent separately after you have had time to process and pray about it. So that's the first thing I would recommend. That'll save your physical life in a hospital. Your spiritual life and why Grace lost her life is because I I became um, paralyzed by the fear. They're going to use this again. And the fear, Satan always uses fear as a tool to control people. And so I don't know what they're going to do next, you know, fake UFOs, nuclear, who knows? You know, they've got lots of arrows in their quiver. What are they going to do? I don't know. But what I do know is fear is the underlying tool that they use to convince us to give up our rights. And so you've got to stand strong. If you're not right with God, now is the time because God protects us from the fear propaganda. Well, so that, no, so you're, you're spot on. So I've written a couple of articles on this and had a couple of shows on this as well as what I call the purposeful campaign of terror against America and America's Armageddon. To your point, you know, Lenin said it, Mao said it and others, the way they help gain control is to create chaos and fear. And we're seeing that being perpetuated here in our country. So you got about 30 seconds left. What I'd like you to do is tell, tell us how can people get involved and stay aware? You have a Give, Send, Go page, and you also have Grace's website. Once you give those two out, even though they'll be posted here for our podcast post show, once you give those out for the audience tonight so they can catch that and go look. Sounds great. So the main website, if you want the forms and to find out the story about Grace is OurAmazingGrace.net. We have a separate website, GraceShara.com. What we're and that's where the give send go is. And we're also what we're mainly asking those for people to sign up there to follow the story because we have some confidential things we're working on right now that are that are just outstanding and exciting, but we can't talk about them yet. But how we get a hold of you is by you signing up with your email and name, and then we can send out a an email to do our calls, our calls for action as as these things progress. Well, thanks, Scott. You know, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Uh, unfortunate, extremely unfortunate circumstances, but critically important for our audience to understand and listen is this, this cognitive war continues. I'm here on the NASA Security Hour to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I go outside the fog of the data chaos to give you a strategic perspective on NASA security issues, including today healthcare, and speak truth to power, power of we the people, so we together can best ensure the resilience and security of our republic. Thanks for joining us on the mission. The NASA Security Hour is the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. 